So we um, are, are really into this third week in a little series that we've been exploring called Rest. And I'll give you the setup that I kind of gave everybody a few weeks ago, and that's simply this. Um, I guess it was about four or five weeks ago, we had just finished as a family running from like our third activity that night. And life was just crazy. And I looked at Meredith, we finally got the kids in bed, and we were just worn out. I mean, we were physically tired. We were exhausted. It wasn't just that kind of exhausted from having like a really long day. It was like we were burdened. There were other things going on in our life that we were carrying. There was just baggage and we were tired and we were just thinking, man, is this really, I mean, we're really just going from one of these things to another activity to activity to activity or burden or obstacle to burden or obstacle. I mean, and I just looked at her and I thought, you know, surely, surely there's just, there's, there's got to be more to life than this. I mean, this, there's something so wrong with this picture. And as I started thinking about my own relationship with Christ, I started thinking about this idea of rest and, and how, little I understood, how little I understood the word and how most of us really don't even know what to do with the word, much less to have lives that really live in this idea of rest. But see, when we think about rest, we usually think about it from a physical standpoint. Most of us think rest being, hey, if I can just get through this next Thursday, then I'll be able to rest. Or if I can just get through this sort of financial kind of struggling time I'm in, then I'll, then I'll have rest. If we can just make this one move, then I'll find true rest. Because we think about rest from a physical standpoint. Rest meaning break. If I can just get there or get to the summer, then I can sit by the pool or then I can read or then I can do whatever. But, but really, that's not rest, at least not from a biblical standpoint. That's just a break from doing things in life. Rest, rest actually has very little to do with stuff and physical things, and so much more to do with our spiritual condition. And so two weeks ago, we began this conversation about rest by really exploring the spiritual nature of what rest is. That at its very core, first and foremost, rest, true peace, true rest, is about something spiritual. And we talked about it as Jesus kind of explains it as he's the one that gives rest and what it means to find rest for our soul and rest being submission to Christ. We really kind of explored it from that spiritual standpoint. And then I told you last week that there are really three things that we have to deal with if we're going to live in a life that is finding true spiritual rest. And last week we unpacked the first one, and it's trust. The question being, do I really trust the God that I say I believe in? If I'm going to find real spiritual rest, I've got to deal with that one question. Do I really trust the God that I say I believe in? Trust him with my heart, with my life, with my kids, with my finances, with my family, with my job. Do I really trust you, Jesus? The second thing we have to deal with is the one we're going to do, kind of mess with today, and that is this idea of worry. The mental battle that is a worrying or anxious mind. And every single one of us, if we're not living in the middle of worry or anxiety today, we have dealt with it or are dealing with it in some small categories. But in order to really find true spiritual rest, we have to deal with this idea of worry. We have to deal with the idea of anxiety. And the next week we're going to deal with the third one, which is priorities, how to reset your life on what really matters. But really the picture is this. If we're going to find true spiritual rest, not that kind of rest that just goes, wow, I've got a free hour during my day, but that kind of rest that just says, man, my, my soul is joyful. I mean, I just have a, a life that is happy, that I just feel at peace, that my life, while not everything is perfect, just has deep meaning, that I just feel, I just feel renewed. If we're going to find that kind of rest, we have to deal with these things from a spiritual standpoint. This morning we're in the book of Matthew chapter 6, so if you've got a Bible, you can pull it out. If not, there's some kind of sprinkled around, around you. Um, our deal with the Bibles is this, is that if you don't have one, keep it. 
We don't need them. We can always get more. If you don't own one, save it. If you know someone that needs one, take it. Give it away. Um, if not, use it, leave it. We'll use them again next week. Or bring yours every single week. Every single week I teach straight from it, so you might as well invest in one, bring one, or tell me and I will get you one. We would love to have you be part of uh, our Bible-toting group that just brings these things every single week. But before we open God's Word together, let's take a moment and just pray and ask that God will prepare our heart to actually meet with Him this morning. Lord, we love you so much, and we thank you for these moments to meet in this place. God, we thank you that you care for us, and that you desire a relationship with us, and that you draw us into your presence. Lord, each one of us this morning, even as we sit here, has got something going on in our life that is causing us worry. Maybe it's something huge, just giant. Maybe we're living in a dead marriage. Maybe we have some financial issues that are, that are really just tough. Or, or maybe we're not real sure what's going to happen come the end of the summer with our schooling or with our, our job or with our kids. Or, or maybe we're thinking about moving or career change. Or, or God, maybe we're just anxious over our own health or the health of someone we love. I mean, who knows? But we've all got those things that cause us to worry. And Lord, I want, as we sit here this morning, before we open your word, I just want you to start bringing those things up on our heart. Just as we're gathered here, just bring those things and press them on our heart, God, so that we can deal with them this morning. Take just a moment in your heart before we open God's word and just ask God to prepare you to meet with him this morning. Just, just kind of whisper something really simple. God, prepare me to meet with you this morning. Pray for someone beside you or around you, even if you don't know their name, even if you've never seen them before, it doesn't matter. Just kind of whisper a prayer for them. Ask that God would move in their lives this morning, just in your heart. Just ask that God would move in them. God, we know that an encounter with your word is an encounter with you. God, your word is true, and it is sharper than any double-edged sword, and that it penetrates our lives, that it, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. And so, God, we pray that as we meet with you this morning, you would convict us through your truth and through your word, and that we would come face to face with whatever it is that you are speaking to each one of us. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So Matthew chapter 6 actually takes place right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is that sort of real famous section of teaching in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, where Jesus is, is teaching the disciples. Now, it's actually really poorly named because it's not really a sermon. It's kind of the opposite of a sermon. I mean, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says that he saw all the crowds. Because everywhere Jesus went, I mean, people showed up in droves. And he saw all the crowds. So he gathered his disciples and they went up on a mountainside and he began to teach them. So here are the crowds pressing in from all areas. Jesus takes the disciples. He goes up on the side of this mountain. He begins to teach them. The Sermon on the Mount began as a small group teaching. Jesus sitting with these 12 or so folks teaching them about what a life that follows him will look like. Well, as they always do, the crowds find Jesus. And so really what happens with the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus is teaching these little individuals and a whole crowd breaks out. And before you know it, Jesus is teaching a huge crowd of people these truths about what it means to follow him. So Matthew 6 is right in the middle of that teaching on what a life that follows Jesus looks like, or what a life that is kingdom-driven looks like, and this crowd breaks out on the side of the mountain, and Jesus is explaining to them everything from, from what, uh, you know, thoughts on murder and divorce and, and prayer to ideas on worry in the kingdom of God and, and what it looks like when we surrender our whole hearts to him, just teaching after teaching after teaching. 
Well, this morning we're going to pick up in Matthew chapter 6, right in the middle of this sort of explanation that Jesus is having about what really matters in life. And he's talking about not being able to serve God and money and, and really putting our heart where our treasure is and, and just this great teaching on what really matters. And he begins to talk about this idea of worry. And I'm going to go ahead and read it and then we'll just kind of unpack it a little bit together this morning. Matthew chapter 6 verse 25. This is what Jesus says to this gathered group of people. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body or what you will wear. Is life not more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow, and tomorrow thrown into the fire, how much more will he not clothe you? O you of little faith, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given unto you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, at some point in time, most of us have come across this teaching. We usually come across that last part, seek first the kingdom of God and all is righteous. Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. We've seen that on little Hallmark cards and reminder cards, and it's become something that we, we kind, of a, a kind of understand and think about. You know, I'm not going to worry. God's kind of got it in control. And, and we really kind of use that, that little section, that verse, to deal with our ideas of worrying. We pay lip service to it by saying, well, I don't need to worry about that. But most of us really don't live in that truth. And so in order to understand the significance of what we're talking about, we talk about the spiritual necessity that we have to deal with to find true rest, we have to deal with this idea of worry. Because I truly believe that the greatest obstacle for you finding spiritual rest, true peace in your life, is worry and anxiety. It's a mental battle that you have to do business with before you will ever find true rest rest. And it is a serious problem. And none of us really treat it that way. And here's, here's kind of what I'm talking about. You know, worry, the word that's used there in Matthew 6 is a really interesting word because it actually comes from the Greek word merimneo, which is a word that means anxiety and worries and cares. But it's really at its root is two Greek words. And the two Greek words are divided and mind. So the word that we use to come up with worry and anxiety is actually the words that form and kind of say divided mind, which is a really interesting way to think about worry, that our minds are divided. But even more importantly is that word merimneo actually has a spiritual meaning. It's not just about a mental thing, like I have worries or anxieties or my mind is divided. It actually carries with it a very significant spiritual connotation. When used in the Greek, it actually implies a spiritual brokenness. We see that all throughout the New Testament, but when used in the Greek, that word merimneo really means spiritually broken, divided mind. That picture that says, there's something more than me just kind of worrying about how things are going to work out of that big exam or at work. There's a spiritual brokenness that comes with worry. Now this is important for us because we've been exploring this idea of rest from the spiritual sense. That rest is not merely getting to the end of whatever obstacle or task or issues that we have and saying, I can finally take a break over here. 
But spiritual rest is about dealing with those things in our life that we've got to do battle with. It's about saying, God, I recognize that there are things that you are calling me to let go of, and I have to deal with those. And so when we begin to worry or when we allow worry and anxiety and those things to creep into our life, to interfere with our life, we are living in spiritual brokenness. We've got to understand the serious nature that worry brings about. And I'm going to explain this a little bit better in a minute, but I want you to begin here. To understand that we're not just talking about, oh, don't worry, it's going to be okay. We're talking about a spiritual problem. Because worry, and hear me say this, worry really carries with it two things. Worry is first and foremost disobedience. Now, we read that in Matthew chapter 6, because Matthew just, or Jesus just says, do not worry. So if we worry, we are living in disobedience. Worry is not just a mental game that we play. It is actually living in active, active obedience. When Jesus says, don't worry about your life, and you spend time, and I spend time worrying about my life, we are living in disobedience, and we just need to name it. The second thing about worry is that worry is unbelief. Now, this may sound kind of strange, because most of us would never associate our belief in, in God with an idea like worry. But really, worry is rooted in unbelief because when we worry and have anxiety and fears about life, we are doubting the promises of God. Because we have a God who promises to provide and care for and take care of all of our needs. In fact, we just learned that God knows exactly what we need and that he will clothe us and provide for us and take care of us. And when we have anxiety and worry over those things in our life, we are living in unbelief. Now, most of you, like myself, would try and argue with that. Because I did it when I was even looking through this stuff. I was going, no, that's kind of crazy. I mean, worry's not that big a deal, right? I mean, anxiety, fears, living in those things isn't that huge, is it? I mean, after all, I didn't kill anybody. I still go to church. I pray. I read my Bible. I mean, it's not really that extreme. But if you really think about it, worry is really about disobedience and about unbelief. It goes hand in hand with the idea we talked about last week, which is trust. But it takes it one step further, because worry is where trust becomes very personal. See, we can kind of throw these generalities out when we talk about trust. Life is trust, I just need to trust God. We can all say that, we don't really know what it means, because nobody really knows what that means. I mean, trust God with what? All of life? How do we break that down, really? Worry names it, and when we name it, it becomes very personal. See, worry and anxiety put some very specific truth into trust issues. When we begin to say, I'm having trust issues with this, or I'm worrying about this, we are naming specific things that we are wrestling with. And worry, we don't wear it on the outside. Almost, I mean, very few people even know that we deal with it, and so we very rarely have to deal with it out loud. That's why worry is so significant, because at its root is spiritually brokenness. We've got to name, the, name that problem we have to live and recognize that worry is something significant it's not something we just say oh i can get over and, and your husband looks at your wife looks at you oh just quit worrying about it it's not really that simple is it i mean worry at its root is about a spiritual condition that we have to deal with it's about being broken not trusting god and living in disobedience if we're going to really move beyond and win this mental battle battle over worry we have to name the problem we have to really name it and recognize it there's some keys to kind of winning this victory over worry, this mental battle. And that's the first one, and that is recognizing the real problem. I mean, most of us recognize that, you know, recognize that we have an issue, we have a problem, we have a trust issue. But really when we recognize the severity of it is when we begin to deal with it. See, what I want you to understand this morning before we really even get into this stuff at all 
is that worry and anxiety is something that's not small. It's not just about getting over it. I mean, worry and anxiety is at its core bigger questions about what you believe and think about when it comes to who God is. Worry and anxiety is really about these questions of disobedience and disbelief. So whatever you're sitting here with this morning, whatever kind of struggles or issues or worries that are plaguing your mind about your future, your life, the here, the now, your marriage, whatever it is, when you're living in them, when you allow them to interfere with your life, when you allow them, allow them to derail your heart, you are living in disobedience and disbelief. And as I was sitting with this stuff this week, I was really convicted by that going, man, Lord, so often I just sort of shuffle these things and categories in my mind and say, oh, you know, I can get past it or I'll deal with it or whatever. But God, when I, when I allow worry to intersect my heart, when I allow worry to intersect, I am living in unbelief. I am basically saying, God, I don't trust your promises for my life. So we've got to recognize the problem that we live in, okay? The second real key that we see in this text this morning is that we have to name and what I call name our fears. Now, I truly believe that at the root of all of our worry and anxiety is the idea of fear. It's not really that worry and anxiety is something mental. It's not just a mental activity. At its very core and at its very root, it is about fear. And Jesus names a few of those things. He says, do not worry about your body or what you will wear or what you will eat or what you will drink. Okay, he names some of these things. And, and you and I, most of our worries are driven by fears, or at least mine are. Maybe yours aren't, but I really think they are. And I know that mine are. I mean, when I worry, when I'm anxious, it's driven by my own fears. God, I am afraid I will fail my family as a man if I do this wrong. God, I am petrified of what happens when our money runs out. That God, we live paycheck to paycheck in these categories, and, and I don't know what to do with that. Or God, if my car breaks down, I can't afford to get a new one. What am I going to do? God, I, my, my friend or my spouse or whoever is dealing with significant health issues, what am I going to do without them? God, I am afraid to lose them. They mean so much to me. God, I am afraid. You see, most of our worries and anxieties are driven by fears. They're driven by fears of the unknown, and they're driven by fears of kind of what that means for me. See, because money issues, home issues, marital issues, relationship issues, school issues, those really aren't about that thing. It's really a deeper fear about something else. It is always about a fear. And I think those fears really come down to two things. Really two things when we talk about fears. And, and, and if you look closely at this chapter... It is, it's, it's really significant. Because Jesus says this at the very end in verse 32, or 31, 32, he says, So why are you worrying about what you will eat or what you will drink or what you will wear? For pagans run after these things. But your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So Jesus explains to his disciples, he goes, listen, why are you worried about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink? You know, what you're going to wear. I mean, pagans worry about those things. Your God, your Father knows that you need them. Now, most of us would in, this, in this room would probably not say, I'm petrified that I'm, not gonna wake, that I'm gonna wake up tomorrow and not know what to wear. I won't have clothes. I mean, we don't really live in those categories. We've got closets full of clothes. Most of us won't wake up in the morning and go, what am I gonna drink or what am I gonna eat? We're not living in those. But those, those things actually express much bigger things, right? I mean, you can food and shelter and housing and relationships. I mean, you can trace your worries back to those categories. Jesus is naming some of these important things. But really at the very end of that, he says, listen, does your father not know that you need all of them? See, I really believe that our fears that kind of drive our worries and anxiety boil down to two questions. One, do I believe God really knows? 
And two, do I believe God really cares? So I want you to think about your life for a moment. I want you to think about what you're struggling with and what your issues are and what your worries are, what you're afraid of, whether it's being able to have enough money when you retire or whether it's having enough money for tomorrow, whether it's being in a healthy marriage or ever finding a healthy marriage or whether it's your children or moving or schools or are you really ruining your children. I mean, you know, we all have them. I want you to think about them for a minute. I want you to ask yourself this. Do you really believe that God knows? I mean, Jesus just told the disciples that your heavenly Father knows that you need them. In other words, he knows what you need in your life. Do you really believe that God knows what's best for your life? I mean, at the very core of your heart, don't be so quick to answer that, because most of us, actually 100% of us in this room would probably raise their hand and say, yeah, I believe God knows. But I want you to really think about it, because do you really believe that God knows what is best for your life and that God knows what you need? I mean, really. Do you really believe that God knows what you need and what is best for your life? Because that's what Jesus is explaining to his disciples. Do you not understand that God knows what you need? And he kind of gives these long examples about how he's clothed the lilies of the field and all those amazing things. But he says, listen, do you believe God knows? And as I was thinking through this, I thought, of course I know that God knows what I need. But my real question is, are what I believe I need and what God thinks I need the same? See, because I don't believe that God knows really what I need. Yeah, I think God will put clothes on my back and some of those kind of things, but, but my needs are a little bit different than that. And my fears are driven by the fact that I don't think God will meet those needs. Because everybody else has what they have, and they've got this house, and they've got that car, and they've got this life. And everybody else is wearing their happy face, and they walk into church holding hands, and everything else is working out perfect for them. But I don't think God knows that what I need. Yes, God knows I'm going to eat lunch. Fine. But does God really know what I need? My own insecurities and my own fears as a man, does God really, can he really meet those? See, I believe our worries and our anxieties are driven by those fears. Do you really believe God knows? Not just knows that you need clothes and a place to lay your head, but really knows what you need. The second question that drives most of my fears, and I think drives most of ours, is do you believe God really cares? You know, last week we dealt with this issue of trust, didn't we? And the story that we used, which was also out of the book of, actually out of the book of Mark, was a picture where Jesus is teaching, and he's sitting in a boat, and he looks at the disciples at the end of the day, after he had taught all day long, and he looks at them, and he says, hey, let's go to the other side of the lake. He says, let's, since we're already in the boat, let's just do it by boat. And so they get in the boat, they're already there, and they start sailing to the other side of the lake. And Jesus goes to the back of the boat, and he falls asleep on a cushion. And a huge storm kind of comes up. The Bible calls it a fer- ferocious squall comes up and waves begin to break over the boat and the boat begins to sink so the disciples kind of naturally freak out they're stuck out in the sea of galilee storm is rising waves are filling the boat it's not going to be a huge boat and the boat is sinking and they look in the back and jesus the god of the universe is sound asleep on a cushion and they are about to drown and so the disciples go back and they wake him up and they say jesus actually call him teacher teacher do you not care if we drowned This is that Jesus stands up and he rebukes the wind and he tells the waves to be still. And the whole thing just goes totally still. And he says, you have little faith, why have you doubted? And the disciples get together and they go, who is this? Even he commands the powers of nature. But what we dealt with last week was really that question, do you care if I drown? And it's a question that drives so many of our fears, which is, do you really believe that Jesus cares? 
Or do you believe that when your life is in the middle of whatever struggle it's in, or even if it's just your heart and whatever kind of turmoil it's in, that the God of the universe is asleep on a cushion in the back of the boat? You see, my fears are driven by the fact that sometimes I wonder if God really cares. Because here's everybody else with all their things, and they don't seem to be struggling at all. And here I am saying, God, I've given you my whole life, my whole heart, and how come I'm struggling so much? Are you asleep in the back of this boat? And do you care that I'm struggling, God? And of course, none of us like to say those things out loud, nor would we ever, but if we're really honest with ourselves, we've probably asked those questions at some point in time, or at least let our heart to think them. Do you believe that God cares? I mean, really deeply cares about your struggles and about your hurts and about your fears. See, because the second key to really being able to overcome a worrying or anxious mind is going ahead and naming your fear. Trust me, in Scripture, we see people do it all the time, very specifically. You can track it all the way back to Abraham and Moses and Job and David and even Peter going, listen, God, I am struggling with this. So whatever you're struggling with, whatever your fears or anxieties and worries are, name them. You're not going to surprise God. If you are feeling like God has left you to fend for yourself, then name it. If you are feeling like God is big and powerful and can heal everybody's life but your own, then name it. If you are petrified that God is going to wake up one day, and you're, or you're going to wake up one day and God is going to have you in the exact same place you were 15 years ago, then name it. If you're petrified that you're about to retire in six years and you have zero dollars, then name it. And then recognize that it's spiritually broken, you're spiritually broken. And ask God to heal your heart. Because see, finding true rest at its very core is about spiritual brokenness. It's about recognizing that my worry and my anxiety are actually disobedience and unbelief. And God, I want to name them because it's important that I actually tell you what I'm feeling and struggling with and then I'm going to beg you to heal my heart. Because I promise you, the disciples after Jesus calmed that storm were never the same. And the question he has, that has for them is the same question he asks these disciples right here. And he says this, Oh, you of little faith. And he looked at those disciples in that boat in Matthew, or Mark 4, and he says, Why do you have no faith? In other words, do you not believe that God knows and do you not believe that God cares? See, worry is really, first and foremost, about disobedience and disbelief. It's just saying, God, I don't believe. I'm, I'm wrestling with whether or not you really can. But i got to name it. i got to name those things. i got to name my fears. The second and third, or the third and fourth thing we really see jumping out of here that are really important, and this kind of builds on those, is really, the, the third one is really about, we've got to quit sitting still. So look, look at verse 33, really famous verse. We've all probably heard it a thousand times. But seek first, most of us have heard it, seek ye, because we sang the song growing up, seek ye first. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you in, uh, as well. There comes a time when, when we have to begin to make movement, and not just physical movement, but mental movement. Seek is an action word. Seek is about making movement forward. You know, oftentimes we sit in the exact same place with the exact same worries and the exact same struggles and we ask God to remove those from us and then we wonder why two months later, one month later, same day, we're still dealing with the same issue. 
We're not making any mental movement. We're not making any physical movement. We haven't pushed ourselves to do anything differently. We're just simply asking God to help us think differently. The problem is you will never think yourself out of worrying. You will never outthink your fears. At some point in time, you've got to put movement into your life. And what is that movement? Jesus says that movement is seeking first God's kingdom. See, Jesus says the answer to not worrying is about moving into a life that says, God, I want to seek what you have for me first and foremost. See, moving beyond worry and anxiety is about making a life of seeking and movement and action and not just saying with my life but I'm going to make some mental adjustments in my head that actually put me in a place where I will think and live differently. You cannot expect to move beyond the worry and anxiety and stress and fears in your life if you're not making any movement mentally or physically. You are not going to walk out of here a different person with less worries because I told you to worry less. Because we read a passage that says, don't worry about tomorrow. You're not going to walk out of here going, woohoo, I'm not worrying. It's not going to happen. You've got to make a mental adjustment in your heart and in your life and a physical adjustment that reflects it and say, God, I'm going to live differently. And Jesus says it comes when we say we're going to seek first God's kingdom. You know, most of our worries and our fears, those things that we just talked about are all me-driven. They're driven by me. Even when we like to pretend they're about somebody else, they're usually always about me. They always come back to us. They're about, what am I going to do? God, what do you have for me? How is this going to work out? What are we going to do? What am I going to do? How am I going to make ends meet? Blah, 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 blah. They're all about me. What Jesus is saying is you've got to reorient your life. Quit the me focused, the us, what they've got and what I don't have and all those things and start saying, Jesus, I want what you want. And Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. In other words, what God is about, your heart should be about. You want to end the worry and anxiety and fears in your life, then quit being so driven by yourself and decide that you are going to let your life and heart be about the things that matter to God. Now, this is what most of us don't want to hear. You want to come in here and have me tell you how not to worry and how when you walk out of here, you know, you are going to be able to keep your job and you're going to be able to do that and it's all going to work out and financially everything's going to be perfect. I'm not telling you that at all. In fact, things may not work out that way. Things may be really hard. Things may get a lot more difficult before they get, before they get better. But I will tell you this, your life in the middle of those circumstances can be rid of worry and anxiety and fear. Because when you begin to reorient your life on the things that matter to God, all of a th- sudden those worries and anxieties are really small. You know, this morning I was kind of running around, I had a lot of things going on, I was teaching the book of Jonah up the hill, and, and uh, I was getting ready to do this here, and we've got all our families in town, it's been a busy weekend, Haley had her big dancing show this weekend, and all this stuff going on, I was running around between stuff, and I was doing this thing at 9.30, and, and I, I was about 9.20, and I still had a bunch of reading to do, I was going to try and catch up on some stuff, and I, I, I look over, and there's this, this kid, and he's a 18-year-old, 19-year-old kid, and he's got a, a, a slipknot heavy metal t-shirt on, and uh, his jeans are really dirty, and he just looks really out of place, and he's staring right at me, and uh, he looks at me, and he says, and there's tons of people around, because I was up the hill at, at Westminster, and he looks, he looks at me, and he says, are, are you the pastor? And I looked at myself, and I was like, how do I answer that question? Because I wanted all part of me to say no, but I'll find him for you, right? Because I was, just crazy stuff was going on. And I knew, you just knew, you know, the situation where you just know there's more to that question than just, hey, nice to meet you, type of deal. And, uh, but here I am, people are everywhere. He just, he said, talk to anybody. He looks right at me, he says, are you, are you a pastor? And I said, I said, yeah. I said, I am. 
I go, what's going on? And he goes, can I talk to you for a second? And I said, sure. And, you know, living in our community, you guys are well aware that oftentimes that happens. Someone's like, look, I'm out of gas. I really need money. I need some help. I need food. We're always, I'm always prepared for those kind of mental things. But he looks at me and he says, I need to talk to you. And I said, looked at my watch, and here I'm going, oh, uh, okay, sure, right? I end up being really convicted about this. I'm a horrible Christian. We'll talk about that later. But I, uh, I look at this kid, and I said, I said yeah, yeah, I, I, I can. So we went and sat down right in the hallway. And people stepping around us and walking over us and all that. And he says, uh, I'm, I want to be real honest and tell you this. I'm still pretty drunk from last night. I said, so am I. No, I was kidding. I said, I go, uh, <laughs> you know, making the connection, just trying to know. He goes, um, he goes I want to be honest and tell you I'm still pretty drunk from last night. And I said, I go, okay. And he goes, and I really don't know totally how I got here. I just drove by. I saw it was a church. And I just came in. And uh, I just need you to, to talk to me. And I said, okay. And I said, what, what's going on? And he said, he's shaking, really nervous, and, and he just said, my girlfriend, she's 18, she's dying of cancer. And I said, oh man, I'm really sorry to hear that. He goes, at 16 years old, she was diagnosed with, with a rare kind of lung cancer, and they did a bunch of treatments, she went into remission. Um, but she told me last night, it, it, it came back, and she's going back in for chemo, but they're not optimistic. And uh, she might die. And he goes, and I'm not real religious. I mean, I believe there's a God, but, I mean, look at me. I'm, I'm a drunk, kind of metalhead, alcoholic kid that doesn't know what to do. And he said, uh, what do I do? And I looked at my watch, and I was like, oh, how do I even begin here? And I thought, you know, God, I've got all these other things going on i got to teach this other class, and I've got to get out here and get ready for church, and somebody's got to put the Bibles out or whatever. I just thought, you know, what really matters to you? I mean, does it matter to you that I'm worried? I'm sitting here going to teach about worried, and I'm worried about how I'm going to get all this stuff done today. Or this kid is sitting here, literally brought in these doors by you, has no idea, never been here, still dealing with his issues from last night. See, it looks at the very first person he sees. It looks as about as far from a pastor as anybody can imagine, just says, oh, is that you? And I sat with this kid, and I said, God, you know, as I, was, I prayed for him, and, and we had a longer conversation, prayed for him, and, and tell you the rest of that story later, but I, I, I looked at my own life, and I'm just like, God, what matters to you? I mean, really. I mean, I'm worried about a lot of things in my life, but here's this 18-year-old kid without the hope of Jesus Christ, lost, lost, with a girlfriend, as he'll tell you, the best thing that's ever happened, and he's dying. He wasn't asking for money or gas or anything like that. He just wanted someone to tell him it was going to be okay. And I couldn't tell him it was going to be okay. But I could talk to him about was how big God was and how much God wanted his life. And I thought to myself, God, my worries and anxieties are me-driven. They're not driven by this kid, Tommy. I promise you that your worries and anxieties are usually you-driven. When Jesus is saying to the disciples is seek first God's kingdom. Because when I walked out of that conversation with Tommy, we had fixed nothing. His girlfriend still has cancer, as far as I know. But all of a sudden, I was not so worried about what I had to do that day, today. See, when we radically reorient our lives on what matters, it reshapes what matters in us. See, part of overcoming this anxiety-worry issue is to quit focusing your life on you Get up and begin to make mental movement to seek God's kingdom first. 
So we got to deal with the, and recognize the real problem, that, that worry and anxiety is really about disobedience and unbelief. We've got to name that fear. I mean, really name it. Do I believe that God knows? Do I believe that God cares? And we've got to quit sitting still and wondering why nothing changes. We've got to reunite our life and say, God, I want to be about what matters to you and not what matters to me. And then finally, the last thing that we see as we kind of wrap all this up this morning is this. 634. If I can find it. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. My, my simple key for the last part of that is this. Look, live today. Most of us are so consumed with tomorrow, both literally and metaphorically, that we have allowed worry and anxiety to kill today. Now listen, worry and anxiety will kill your spiritual life, it will kill your marriage, it will kill your relationships, it will kill your family. Why? Because worry kills the joy of living today. How many days will go by and by and by that you will allow worry and anxiety to rob that joy? Because we're so concerned with what happens both tomorrow literally and tomorrow metaphorically that we've allowed worry and anxiety to kill the joy today. As I was reminded about Tommy and his girlfriend Micah, I don't know what tomorrow will hold. And that's what Jesus says. Don't worry about it. Live today. So many of us are sitting here this morning and we have allowed so many todays disappear. We've allowed the joyless, kind of severe lack of contentment ruin and steal our joy. And we have become a people, a, a Christian group of people that are living in with a lack of joy and a lack of gratefulness. If you want to get out of the cycle of worry and anxiety and fear, you've got to be willing to live today. Don't worry about tomorrow. It doesn't mean don't prepare for tomorrow. It just means don't worry about it. Live in today. Because one day you wake up, as most of you know, and your daughter is not going to write you notes that tell you how awesome you are. Right? She's going to be dealing with her own tremendous struggles. And I, I miss this moment. I'll never get it back. The moments that you're sitting in today, don't let them be robbed, stolen, or killed. Worry is a serious problem. It's about disobedience and unbelief. It really is. Don't allow it to be something you just sort of shuffle under the carpet. In order to find true, true spiritual rest, you've got to deal with it. It's about being spiritually broken. So name your fear. Go ahead and name it. Don't be afraid of it. Name it. Ask God to heal your heart in the middle of it. And then move your life to something that matters. And decide that you're going to live today. As we prepare to close our time in worship this morning, I want you to take a look at this video as it just kind of plays back the text that we have listened to and thought about. And we ask God to teach us what it means to find true spiritual rest.